no way is the information provided in this podcast meant to be a substitute for psychological treatment. If you require psychological services, it is your responsibility to seek out the attention of a mental health professional. 24-7, The Working Parent Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Psychology Foundation of Canada in partnership with Workplace Strategies for Mental Health, an initiative of the Great West Life Centre for Mental Health in the Workplace. We recently conducted a survey with working parents with the goal of better understanding their everyday challenges in order to help find ways to support them as they juggle parenting and work life. The results from this survey, along with an outpouring of questions sent to us by parents in the workforce across Canada, will shape the discussion of this podcast. Hi, I'm Kyle Naranya and a dad of a one-year-old as well as a working parent, and I'm happy to be the host of 24-7 The Working Parent Podcast which was created to provide tips and strategies to address the challenges of working parents from all across Canada. Welcome to our listeners and our psychologists. Today I am joined by... Hi, my name is Dr. Rebecca pillay Rodell. I'm a York University scientist who specializes in early child development and a clinical and health psychologist registered to treat adults and children. I am also a wrangler of two spirited daughters who are aged 9 and 11 years old. Hello, uh, my name is Dr. Robin Alter and I am a child clinical psychologist. I've been in practice for many, many wonderful years and um, I've tried to make it a point of learning from all of the families and children that I've worked with all these years. I um, am the author of uh, a couple of books on anxiety, um, one to help parents, anxiety and the gift of imagination, and one for kids. Uh, called the Anxiety Workbook for Kids, and I am a step uh, parent, stepmother, and I have. Uh, uh, I am also a grandmother. Welcome and thank you again for joining us. We've received a lot of questions from parents, so let's get right into it. This question comes from Jasmine, <coughs> and she's in Ontario. Where do I find the time to spend quality one-on-one time with my child in the midst of work, cricket, and music lessons? There never seems to be enough hours in the day. Well, thanks for that question, Jasmine. Um, You know, it's it's you're right in in trying to find the time to do this is hard because it sounds like your child has a big schedule, but you also have have a schedule. But it's it's a challenge, but it's worth the effort because for most kids, one on one time with their parents is their number one priority. You know, you are the most important person in their life and they want to, you know, spend time with you. And one of the um, advantages I have found if you do that is that your child's self-esteem actually will improve because you're the most important person and if you make time for them and if you enjoy that time and actually show them and let them know that you're enjoying it, saying things like, I'm having a good time, that was really fun, I'm looking forward to doing that again, then they feel that you know they must be okay because you know they like you and if you like them, then they're okay. And then if they get that, then when they go to school, they feel that they're um, you know, they're just strengthened, you know. There's a lot of challenges in school, and if they get strengthened by time with you, then they can deal with a lot of those challenges better. One well, using, it doesn't have to be an extended period of time. Like, making every minute count, would you say, is almost the goal, as opposed to 
looking at all the things you have to do and being like, I only have 15 minutes. That 15 minutes will feel like a heck of a lot more if mm-hmm. it's that quality one-on-one or using everyday things to feel like quality time. Exactly. So over the years, I've developed some suggestions or things that seem to work instead of trying to block out big chunks of time. So there are things like if you, um, first of all, if you plan, you know, if you have a certain time that you've allocated, you know, that you can spend time with your kid, let's say it's Saturday morning, it doesn't have to be a big amount of time, it can be 15 minutes, it can be Mm -hmm. half an hour, but if it's on the schedule, then there are several advantages to that. First of all, when it's on the schedule, it's more likely to happen. Well, because you can see it and you're getting that reminder. Right. And But you can also look forward to it. So mm-hmm. you get more bang for your buck, if I could say it that way. So, you know, you anticipate it. You know, like all during the week, even though you're not doing it, you can be talking about it. You can be planning what you're going to do with that time. You know, you're going to talk about what game you're going to play or what was fun last week or... You know, so all that time that you're talking about it and anticipating it is also beneficial for your child. When wouldn't they feel that it's even more special if they're involved in the process? I know I have friends of mine and they have a five and a two-year-old and they have one of those big visual calendars. So they know what is happening day to day, what they are doing, who's doing what with when. And being able to have some, like giving them some feel that they have control over the time adds the value because they are seeing I'm doing whether it's karate but I know dad's taking me to karate and then maybe mom's taking so they have an idea of what's going on as opposed to feeling like everything is in flux that's extremely important what you just said because kids are much more visual they really pay attention to those visual prompts so if for example if you said to your child we're gonna play on Saturday they might go, oh yeah, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. other things are going to come up. They may not believe it as much as if they see it on the wall. Yeah. It's, it's written there on the calendar, and so they can count on it, right? The, um, the other thing uh, to do if you don't have a lot of time, which helps a lot of kids, is um, uh, to have projects. You know, like because of their concrete nature, if, you, if you're working on a project like a puzzle or um, a model or, you know, whatever. A Lego you're doing, structure. Lego structure, exactly. Um, and even when you're not working on it, it exists. It's there, they can see it, you know, so that connects us. That's, you know, me and dad are doing that, me and mom are doing that, we're going to get back to it, we're in the midst of that, and this is what, uh, how we are connected, you know. So, um, it's not just talk, it's actually doing. Next, we have a question from Karan. We came from a different country, and it seems our child is struggling to fit in. What we are trying to do is make sure we maintain our heritage and culture while also fitting in. How do we do this? So it's real, it's a challenge. I think that when you're coming in from another country, um, there are a lot of different ways uh, and different ways of being, which are you know challenging. And so, but I think that you're in a great country to do that. I think Canada, we pride ourselves in being a mosaic. And I think that um, all, you know, when you, you talk about communities sponsoring uh, different people from different countries and all the different ways that people immigrate into the country, um, we ha- that's a lot of dialogue in Canadian society. This is a part of who we are. And I think it's almost as Canadian to be not Canadian as it is to be Canadian these days. Um, so one of the things that I think is important is that to make sure your, your child feels a pride is to understand that they're, bi- they're going to be growing up bicultural. 
I think that the research on acculturation shows that what could be uh, two very dangerous outcomes when you, you're immigrating to a new country is that either you only take the culture that your heritage culture, what we'd call the culture where you came from, or you take the culture from the um, community you moved to and you forget where you are. So the most optimal is an integration in some way and how that integration fits is dependent on individuals and we kind of figure that out over a lifetime. I think I'm still figuring it out. One, can it be said that the to be Canadian is to be someone from somewhere else? I mean, unless you're sharing an indigenous background, pretty much everybody else came from somewhere else and maintaining a balance with your cultural identity kind of already makes you Canadian. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, when I was growing up, I remember us talking about the melting pot model versus the mosaic model. And so we don't want to be able to be in a culture. And I think in in all of our schools, even in the private schools that are Catholic and those sorts of, and the public school boards, the idea of learning about other cultures and religions are inherent every uh, in every grade and every year. And so I think part of that is helping your child celebrate their culture with friends. And so I think that idea of trying to share holidays that aren't shared, so whether it's Eid or it's um, Diwali or, you know, Christmas, the idea that we have these different events going on and inviting other children and so breaking out of the culture and sharing and teaching your children to share and encouraging them to share in other cultures that are that may be more what we consider maybe mainstream Canadian um, because we get the banks the bank holiday off on Christmas for example so I think the idea of sharing and celebrating in both cultures encouraging that and as a parent being able to help your child scaffold them so inviting your friends over for a particular religious or cultural activity and, and explaining it. So I think we, we, we are our stories. Mm-hmm. And I think like understanding our stories from, uh, from our past and from our grandparents and parents is an important way not only just for our own self. You know, I was thinking, uh, Rebecca, that uh, schools do a very good job of this, I think, you know, of, of uh, praising and highlighting all the different cultures that people come from. But kids have a very strong need to fit in. You know, and they may not understand that it takes a while. I think, you know, when you come from a different culture and you have a very strong heritage and a strong culture, and then all of a sudden you're plopped into a whole new place, whole new environment. I know a lot of the kids that I've worked with who come from cultures or places where there's no snow, you know, they don't know how to play in the snow, you know, so they want to, they get, they end up holding up inside for the whole winter when in fact snow can be a lot of fun, <laughs> but you have to learn how to do it. And if you didn't grow up with that, you may not understand it. So my, what I would say to Quran is, you know, be, you have to be patient. It's a process. It's a learning process and there's a learning curve. Um, and, and be supportive and sympathetic to your kids because it's a challenge for them. You know, they strongly want to fit in and it may take a little time, even though that's the goal <laughs> that, you know, and they do have a lot of help, you know. There are a lot of adults around who understand this process, who can provide support. Um, and they may be, you know, the, these parents may be having some trouble as well. Um, anyway, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Absolutely. Like, I think <laughs> one of the, the things that you, we bring up is that I think acculturating or, or integrating yourself is different in a big city than it is in, the, in, in areas where aren't, they're not as diverse. Mm-hmm. And so I think as much as the child and yourself will have to learn, I think that in some communities you'll have to teach as well. 
And so, and again, recognizing that in communities, you may be the only person of color. That, that, that happens all the time too. And I actually grew up in a, in a community where I was the only person of color uh, growing up. And so this idea that the big city versus the small city, I guess I just want to make a comment mm -hmm. that, you know, there are different, um, different resources and different levels of integration, depending on where you come from. Our next question comes from Jaden. Sometimes I get overwhelmed and stressed out when I think about all I need to do within just one day. How can I reduce this feeling so when I do get time with my child, I am not preoccupied? So I think that this is really a question about time management and our perceptions and how we feel about what we're doing, what we're doing. So I think you know it's easy to say you know you need to better manage your time. There is always more in every day to do than we have time in the day to do. And I think that for me it's really important and when you, you talk about working with people who, who uh, are stressed about their day-to-day -day routine, one of the things is to really think about what needs to be done today. And I often tell myself, you know, nobody is going to die if this doesn't get done today. And so having those moments every day where I can put something aside to the next day. Now, even the laundry. Yes, it piles up, it's done every day, but trying to find different things where, it, depending on who you are, finding ways that are more efficient to get things done. I find it's really hard for me to find four hours to get through the family's laundry. But I do find it's really easy, for example, because I feel laundry is one of those things that stress me out and I, I feel like I'm always doing, but you know, trying to spend a little time every morning, throwing a load in when I first get up and then doing the transfer, pulling them out from the dryer and, and spreading them out, for example, even if I don't have time to fold. But those only take like a few minutes, and if I'm doing that every day, that idea is that it really helps catch up. So that, you know, trying to find efficiencies in our day is important. The idea of being preoccupied, I think we do that to ourselves sometimes with some of the technologies that we have. So I think one of the big things with preoccupation when you're with your kids is you have so much on the go, and it may even have to do with your kids, but having your smartphone. So we're constantly getting reminders about Twitter, about uh, Insta, about you know, Facebook, all these things that are coming at us, telling us messages, notifications, I think that adds to our feeling of frenzy, our feeling of, you know, oh, you have these many notifications waiting. And so I think it is important to not only just think about time management, but also to kind of think of the perspective of, of how you feel about what's going on and what are some of the drivers, what are some of the ideas or, or things in your life that are making you feel so pressured. So things that can, again, be put off to another day. Are there things that you could get help with? Are there things your children can help you with so that you can spend time together? And so I think that way, trying to find some quality time in a day by teaching your children how to fold. I was very surprised to find that my eight-year-old could actually fold a t-shirt pretty well. And so, you know, that idea, I also find it's a good time when I'm doing other activities in housework, not only my modeling, because um, I feel like as a working parent, that's one of the things that just stress me out. There's always stuff to do in the house. But, you know, involving my children not only teaches them uh, to be able to do housework themselves, but also to be able to do things and talk as we talk. So it's a lot less threatening to a child when you're, I feel when you're engaging in a conversation, when you're washing dishes, loading the dishwasher, setting the table, then sitting across from them at the dinner table, which is what I kind of thought was the way it was going to be in our house, that we would sit, I wanted to prioritize dinner at six o'clock, and we would eat and talk. But our best conversations are actually when we're doing something else together. And so I think that idea of trying to, to find quality time that, again, multitasks that we're, we're getting through helps us find time in the day that isn't otherwise there. Well, you're using your time to multitask, but 
isn't it turning into more so quality time than you stressing out about the tasks you're having to accomplish? Absolutely. I think and that was what I was talking about, about the perception. So stress is when we feel that we do, don't have the ability to cope with what's being presented with us. And so we have to change a lot of times with stress. Um, it's all about our approach. And so the idea of getting stressed because the laundry is piling up, you know, I try and get myself out with midways. Well, no, I can't do, I don't have four hours for laundry, but I have enough to do one load. Or maybe I just need to do the uniform shirts. Or, I t- you know, I try and do something that gets me to the next day. Because housework is never an end point. You know, I, I bring up housework, I keep bringing up housework. But it's the same thing at work. I don't think my, in- my inbox will ever be empty. And so this idea of, of kind of being at peace with being a bit incomplete. And it may be hard for some of us who want to check everything off our list, but I think that idea of, of trying to kind of come to terms with not everything's going to be done in a day, and that's okay. Thank you for tuning in. For more information and tips, go to www.psychologyfoundation.org or www.workplacestrategiesformentalhealth.com and tune in next time to hear more helpful advice from our psychologists. 24-7 The Working Parent Podcast.